Welcome back to Radical Thursdays. Um, this week, we have another very interesting guest, um, and she is doing some amazing work with youth um, over on the West Coast. Um, and I hope you really enjoy it and take something away. So our guest today is Tamara, who is uh, the Marketing and Development Coordinator at PEAR, which focuses on youth homelessness. So welcome, Tamara. <laughs> yeah. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So could you just give us some background information? Like, who are you? Like, what did you study in college if you did go to college and how that translated into um, activism? Sure, sure. Um, so my name is Tamara and I went to Loyola Marymount University for undergrad uh, in Los Angeles. Um, and I studied communication um, and I liked that because it was so broad and I went to a school that was pretty focused on social justice. So in school, I was doing a lot of organizing um, and particularly around uh, folks experiencing homelessness because that's something that's always been kind of close to my heart. Um, so I'm actually in school right now. I just went back this year for my master's in social work uh, because I was finding that there were some skills and tools that I was wanting uh, in my work, particularly around uh, mental health. I think there's just never enough quality community-based mental health care, um, especially here in Portland. We actually rank last for our ability to diagnose and treat mental health um, challenges here in Oregon. So, um, but that translated to me getting into nonprofit work um, out of college, uh, a local nonprofit there called Safe Place for Youth uh, is one that I was volunteering with and working with. And they're similar to what PEAR does. Um, so they work with homeless youth and uh, really focus on mentorship and strong relationships. So um, at PEAR, we have an education, art and recreation focus. Um, so we really try to bring those things that pull kids away from just pure survival um, in and try to build strong relationships and help them to just be kids again. Um, and to be able to do that self-discovery and community building and all those things that are really necessary to have a joyful, meaningful life outside of just wondering where your next uh, meal is coming from or where you're going to be sleeping next. So I kind of, from there was just hopping around to different nonprofits. Um, I've been in homeless services for, oh, over eight years now. Um, and I've gone back and forth between adults and kids. And I found that my heart is really in working with youth. Um, and youth, the word youth um, for us is kids who are aged 15 to 25. That's so cool. Um, my mom is actually a social worker. So when you said that you went back, you're going to get your master's in social work, I thought that was really cool. Um, one thing that I really like when you mentioned um, PEAR is that you don't necessarily, I feel like um, oftentimes a lot of organizations who focus on like helping kids and just like um, just being leaders, they tend to focus on like just the negative aspect and like kind of just getting them out of that initial situation. But from the sounds of it, PEAR actually doesn't necessarily like kind of focus on just the homelessness but um creating those connections and all of that which in turn um assists with that which I think is really cool yeah yeah I think we really try to see ourselves as a community of people and that includes people without housing um, we have really especially as COVID has hit leaned into community partnerships and um, different types of connections with others and particularly the BIPOC and LGBTQ plus communities um, to look at how we can use our capital and resources to support them um, and how also given a lot of our kids are youth of color and queer youth um, have them come in and do cool workshops and things that, that the kids can get really excited about um, because we're really really passionate about making sure that you know, it's not about just existing, right? It's about having a meaningful and joyful, loving existence. And um, the kind of three words that you hear thrown around a lot of pair are love, trust, and hope. Um, because those are things that we're always striving to put into our programs. Um, because I think a lot of people 
don't feel love in their day-to-day community interactions. And, and that's often at the core of, of some of the big social justice problems that we have these days. Um, capitalism, patriarchy, all the big isms uh, pull us away from that love and community trust. Trauma pulls us away from trust. Um, and when things get stressful and hard, it's really hard to find hope. But you know, when you have a place that feels safe with people you know care about you that you can stop by, a few times a week to get a good meal and have some laughs and maybe do a cool project. Um, it does give you hope and it really fosters those things in an incredible way. Yeah, I feel like from the sounds of it and everything like that, I f- in general in the United States, there's a big like stigma around those affected by homelessness and from the sounds of it, or in general, like when you provide that love and that like nurturing environment to allow people to grow, and have that escape and have that like sense of, you know, belonging. I hope, I, I know, well, actually I don't know because obviously, but I would hope and I would assume that it helps break that stigma and allows them to flourish into who they are. Yeah, empathy is kind of the, the name of the game. Um, I, I, a lot of folks who are sleeping outside are just so um, ostracized from the community. People don't even look at them or, or wave at them. And that's, it takes such a huge mental toll. Um, and especially for young people who have all the same social wants and needs as anybody else. Um, you're just wanting to feel belonging and be accepted and um, really just fit in, not, not look homeless at all. And it's, um, it's, it's a lot. And I think that the empathy is often what's missing. Um, you know, we stress about what the person on the side of the road is going to do with our money versus looking at how hard it is to actually sit out the side of the road with exhaust in your face and people being really rude to you. And um, it's, it's not a job that I would take, you know, there's, uh, there's jobs, there's a few jobs that are as difficult um, and kind of mentally draining as that. So I think with empathy, a lot of doors open up for seeing people for who they are and their struggles and uh, learning their stories and and that everybody has these really complex backgrounds um, that systems have often been responsible for um, putting them in those situations, corrupt systems. Yeah, um, one thing that I, so I'm currently in school for early childhood special education and um, one thing that I have kind of always, I, I like to think have always really lived my life based off of is like empathy and just understanding and um, not jumping to conclusions because like I, there are so many different people in this world and everyone's going through their own thing. So for anyone to just kind of make assumptions and um, like in a way, just, just kind of disregard someone like based on the very minimal information that they know can be incredibly, um, degrading, I'm sure. Um, and so when you just like see a person for not necessarily, not necessarily their circumstance, but more about who they are as a person, I think that's kind of I would say for me is like the root of like kind of making any change or even having a hope to change anything. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's where the community comes in again, because it's really hard to judge somebody when you know what they've been through and when you know your neighbors and that's something that we don't do very often anymore. You know, we don't know who lives down the block from us and what their story is and what their struggles are. And, um, I think especially right now, that's, that's such a big thing. And so at PAIR, where we really try to focus on community, it's, it's about just kind of knowing everybody's name and knowing their stories and um, having that understanding, which brings in turn safety, love, trust, hope, all the really beautiful things. Yeah, and taking the time to get to know people and let them talk and you know have that love and friendship a lot of times can foster, a lot of times it can foster like innovation. I, I feel like when you reach out and you talk to people that you might've stereotyped and wouldn't have talked to before, you get a new perspective. You are able to 
help and collaborate and advance in every way possible. Um, like when Kenny and I were, we might have already talked about this on this podcast in the beginning, but when we went to a uh, One World Everybody Eats conference, maybe calling out the conference, but yeah, whatever, um, where it's just like a pay what you can model for community cafe. A lot of them were talking about, um, and it's hard because uh, how someone that would go there often, uh, they were abusing the system is a term that they use a lot when talking about people who they deemed like not worthy, I guess, of having the food, even though that's the sole purpose to be there, to provide like a nice warm meal and a comfortable space to be. They would, this individual that they talked about had a nice car and so they assumed that everything was fine and that they didn't deserve to, you know, come in there and eat. When in reality, like you just spend a little time talking and you recognize, you know, the situation, you can collaborate, you can foster growth, you can help that person out. And, you know, if you just ask uh, anybody, really, you might be surprised as to what they have to offer and what you have to offer. Definitely. Yeah. It seems that those, you know, those are the stories that always really hit the news. Um, but I would say it's, I've never met anybody in all my time like that. And I think it's just, it's, you hear more about it. And then the other really heart wrenching stories get buried and, and people get skeptical. And I really think it's easier to believe that someone is abusing the system to believe than to believe that there are hundreds of thousands of people in our country who don't have food, don't have housing, don't have all these really basic things. It's scary. You know, it's scary. And especially in a time of turbulence, like right now, um, it's really scary to think that any of us could be there with, you know, just a few bad turns and a few strokes of bad luck. So I really think those stories hit wind because it's easier to believe it. It, it gives people hope to think, oof, okay, it's that, that's something I can digest, you know, um, when in reality, we're on the, the border of a recession and we're just going to see more people losing their housing and falling into poverty. Um, and there's plenty of folks who are, you know, they have a roof over their heads and they still qualify as homeless or houseless because they're living in crowded spaces or in hotels or cars or places. Um, the, the words that they use at the government level are deemed unfit for human habitation. Um, so yeah, like you said, you know, the big piece is, is just learning someone's story and, and um, trusting that folks who have the need are, are, are going to come. It's also important to note for people listening um, that you, really anybody can become homeless. It's not like only for specific people. You can, a lot of people in the South and like Louisiana and stuff like that become displaced because of environmental reasons. Um, you can become displaced because, for example, coronavirus, you lose your job and you're not able to make that payment on your rent. There's just lots of reasons. So once again, just don't jump to conclusions and just assume everything. That's when things become dangerous in terms yeah, of- Yeah, I think like, like our town is a very affluent town that we both grew up in. And I find a lot just like the way, I don't know if it was like the way that Bella and I were raised or, what but I find a lot that a lot of people in our like like some of our friends quite frankly and just a lot of people that we like grew up around honestly like don't think oh like they think oh that could never be me oh like I can just live off my parents income and anything can change in an instant so I think having that awareness and simply just knowing resources, whether they apply to you at the time or not, they're always still useful because even if you never even end up using them in your lifetime, you can refer them to someone who very well could use them and benefit from them. So um, you're talking about 
um, the, the pandemic and how that's had a big impact, I'm sure. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so the pandemic hit in March. Um, and I think we really, like a lot of other organizations in town, weren't sure what it meant for us. Um, and we're just doing our best to operate safely for everybody. And as kind of the quarantines were hitting here, um, I'm not sure what the timeline was for you folks versus us here on the West Coast, but um, I think it actually hit here first, perhaps. Um, I know that some of the first cases in the country were in Washington, which is just a few hours drive from us. Um, we kind of just closed down to, to stop and step back and reevaluate and see what was coming. Um, and we have spent really the entire summer just looking at what our mission is and what our goals are and seeing how we can do our best to keep those intact um, and to keep providing the things that are so crucial for our kids while making sure that our staff, our community, our volunteers, our kids are safe. Um, and so we, for a lot of the summer, we're just doing sack lunches out the door. And we, um, we joke that we became the, the burrito team in town because we um, were trying to create food that was healthy, that was warm, that was different than others were giving out in town, um, but also something that we could mass produce um, every morning. So usually we serve about 65 youth per day. Um, and the need for food, typically in Portland, there's enough places serving food that if you're houseless, finding food is not incredibly hard. And we're very lucky in that. Um, that was not the case during the pandemic. A lot of the community organizations that were serving soup in the park um, and doing different potluck things um, that account for maybe 50% of the food in town shut down um, because they were quarantining and um, you know, they, they were kind of stepping back and doing what everybody else was doing to assess, but it meant that organizations like us had to step up. Um, so for the first time we started serving adults as well, because there were just so many folks in old town Portland, which is where we're located. Um, and it's essentially kind of the skid row of Portland. Um, and so we, at, at the peak, we're serving up to 400 people in total, um, both kids and adults. So it was a massive increase for us. Um, and really kind of stepping away from what we typically enjoy doing and offering to the community to offer just what purely was needed for folks to survive. Um, and we were doing our best to hand out survival gear like safety equipment, um, masks, sleeping bags, things like that. So now that we're moving into fall, we've stepped away from that and are a little more, I think uh, we have more knowledge about what is happening around the coronavirus and what different folks in town are doing to stay safe. Um, everything's kind of stabilized a little bit more. So we are able to have our safe space, um, which is kind of our, our day center for kids uh, open again, which is awesome. And uh, we have a gallery space with a big uh, opening door so we can have like outside air coming in and create an airflow and um, distance the kids. And so we have them come in in 30 minute intervals and then we uh, disinfect and clean the space and let 10 more kids come in. So um, I think we have our system down now, but um, it's really challenged us to look, like I said, at our mission and goals and kind of go back to the basics. Um, a lot of the really beautiful complex programs that we had been building for years around just providing the things that individual kids needed, like parenting programs, um, different job training programs, um, different outings and cool opportunities for youth. Um, those things all had to be scaled back and we really had to just go back to the basics of providing that strong relationship building connection and a community that people rely on. Um, and I, I know for all of us in the pair community, it was really jarring and difficult for us to be disconnected for that community for a while for you know all the same reasons that all of us were really just missing our community um, at the beginning because it's it's the core of who we are and that belonging is so important to our everyday being so um, yeah I think we've been really striving just to keep that and um, I think we've been doing a really good job. From the sounds of it and from the programs that we saw online it sounds like um, it's been working and from what you said um you do deal with a lot of youth and uh high school college age kids in terms of distance learning we've talked about um 
with a couple other people how the shift has happened and it's been more online focused. Um, has your organization or other organizations, do you know, um, how are they handling that or how are uh, the youth uh, you serve handling that, I suppose, or transitioning to it? Sure, sure. So um, many of our kids are actually out of school. Um, they've graduated high school or, you know, for other reasons are working on their GED or other degrees with us and other agencies in town. Um, so we haven't seen a lot of the kids having to transition to digital learning um, and digital services and programs is not something that we've really focused on outside of for donors, partners, and others in our community, um, largely because all of our kids have phones. Um, and that's something we know and used to communicate with them, um, but they don't have computers. And so many of them, it's not as easy to get to a library every day or a place where they can use a computer. So um, the digital part of the pandemic hasn't really affected us a ton. Um, we had to move our biggest event of the year, our fundraiser in June to a digital event, which I think a lot of nonprofits are doing right now, moving fundraising online, which has been a shift. Um, but it's really more been about just making sure that the biggest way that kids learn about things at Para, for example, is um, they come in and talk to us and say, hey, what's happening on Thursday? Um, so we've had to really kind of shift and look at how can we get them on our social media and um, you know, rather than inviting people into our art gallery, for example, which features youth art and is a, a positive way for kids to make money by selling their art to the community and, and to gain um, some reputation as an artist. Um, rather than inviting people into the gallery, we've been looking to build our Instagram following and um, network in that way. So um, we've definitely been affected and definitely been shifting in really innovative ways like everybody else. Um, but not so much in the digital sphere because that's not so much where our kids are having a need. I do have a question about, um, she talked about masks and sanitary products in terms of keeping them safe. Um, a while ago I saw, it might've been like one of those Vice documentaries on YouTube about um, in terms of feminine products and how people don't realize that that's a major need. Um, I don't know <laughs> if there's any like a program or what have you within your organization that deals with it, but um, could you talk a little about that? And then if there are any resources for people that may be listening or don't know about it, that can help them um, positively contribute to, I guess, the issue at hand. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think we're lucky in Portland in that we have a few, I think because it was such a need for a while, we have had a lot of different organizations step up and that's kind of solely what they do is they put like period kits together and um, donate hygiene items and feminine products. Um, and so that's not a thing we found a huge need for, but hygiene items in general, those um, small shampoos and conditioners and soaps and toothbrushes and mirrors and brushes and razors, you know, all the things that you need day to day um, are always, always needed just because uh, it's not as easy to hold on to those things when you're taking everything with you on your back or people are stealing stuff or, you know, the, the wear and tear happens on clothing and hygiene items a lot quicker. Um, so those are always a need. And I would really encourage you to find, find organizations like PEAR that are working with youth in your community and find other organizations that are working with houseless folks. And if they're not, if, if you have a hard time finding those and, you know, your state is one where there aren't a lot of organizations doing that work, um, you know, go out in groups in ways that feel safe and find folks and just ask for what they need. Um, I know a lot of a lot of community groups around here, especially as winter hits and it starts getting really cold, um, we'll go do outreach and, and bring hygiene items and hats and gloves and hand warmers and um, strong weatherproof jackets and shoes. Um, I, I would say those are kind of the biggest thing that's needed right now is everybody's gearing up for winter. Um, and that cold and wet can be life-threatening. Um, so yes, always needed. And 
I think the winter gear is probably the biggest need uh, folks in homeless services are trying to get out to folks right now. So going back to more um, of the beginning of the pandemic, I mean, it's obviously like ongoing, but um, you said that you kind of just had, you had to, as an organization, um, kind of narrow um, what you were focusing on and to just go kind of back to the basics of providing food. And so you said you jumped kind of from like 60 people to about 400 a day, you said? Yeah, yeah. So we started serving adults. Um, There's about 4,000 people experiencing homelessness in Portland on any given night. And so there's a lot of folks um, in need of help and resources here. And I I would guess we haven't done um, the point in time count, which measures roughly um, how many people are experiencing homelessness on any given night here. But um, my guess would be that since the pandemic has hit and economic hardships have hit, um, that number's only grown. So um, in our area, we definitely saw a bigger need for food and just basic resources like those hygiene items as, as other organizations around us were closing or figuring things out in, on different timelines. Um, it's really been a community effort in terms of different organizations working together here. Um, and I think that's true for, for most communities. So how did you adjust to that? Because everything kind of happened so quickly. Um, how did you as an, like, how did you guys adjust to serving that many more people? Um, well, we have uh, a team of about nine to 10 staff members. And so the different staff members typically coordinate like our recreation program, um, our coffee shop and barista program. So we have three job training programs, a bike shop, a coffee shop and our gallery um, that are ways for kids to make money and learn skills that they can then go out into the community and um, get jobs with. And they're also just really kind of strong relationship building programs where the staff really get to know the kids and their strengths and what they're looking to build. Um, so all of those amazing programs, you know, we had to cut down, shut down the coffee shop. Um, the bike shop has remained open, but um, on, on much shorter hours. And we've been really careful about letting, uh, at some points, not even letting people into the store, um, just doing everything by phone and um, meeting them outside with masks and distancing. Um, the gallery was closed for a long time and, and just selling art online. So a lot of those programs that we had staff, um, you know, focusing mostly on those staff then got uh, repurposed to the burrito line and they were helping us with lunches and, and just getting basics out to people in need. Um, but it also meant that admin staff, um, like our executive director, our development director, um, so Pear was founded by, by three women, Beth, Pippa, and Joy, um, which that's itself a pretty incredible story. But um, we're pretty great in that our admin staff, unlike other organizations I've been at, are really um, present on the floor with the kids. They're, they're really willing to jump in um, and, and down there because Beth and Pippa, our executive director and development director, who are also co-founders, um, you know, they started at the beginning, just the three of them working with kids directly. So it's, it's this incredible connection where the kids all know them deeply. Um, and, and folks, um, who normally are just kind of sitting at their computers like myself or are out there, um, handing out lunches and talking to the kids and checking in with them. And, um, I think that kind of out the door period was one where we were kind of just all hands on deck, trying to get things out safely and as quickly as possible, um, while also checking in with our kids and, um, that was a time when we didn't see a majority of the kids that we would see every day before. So it was really kind of worrisome for us to think, oh gosh, where's everybody gone? What are they needing to do to survive right now? Are you safe? What do you need? Um, so that was an interesting time for us. Um, definitely did not feel like the, the pair that we all know, but it was, um, what we needed to do to meet a necessary community need. So you talked about your barista program, and that's actually under my connection to food. Um, Well, naturally, when you don't have access or consistent access, rather, to food um, and housing, you can oftentimes develop uh, nutrient deficiencies um, for various reasons. I have nutrient deficiencies, so it's not something that's like not uncommon or what have you, but 
it can oftentimes be worsened. Um, so your kitchen and what your kitchen and food program obviously um, really helps combat that. So I was reading off of your website and it said that you offer two meals a day and that you have Thursday night supper club for your kids to uh, earn specific cooking and recipe uh, skills and whatnot. Um, and also to bond after over a family meal, which is awesome. And that, uh, like you mentioned, your barista program where they can train to be a barista and then work at a little uh, cart. So um, could you speak more to uh, the food aspect, I suppose, of your organization? Sure, sure. Um, so a lot of those really awesome programs are things that have been put on the back burner for now. So we did have to close the coffee window, unfortunately. Um, we did need to um, stop volunteer, um, largely volunteer-run programs like Thursday Night Supper Club. And um, yeah, again, that's kind of that really strong sense of community and belonging that we all were, were really missing. And um, we, we sent out a newsletter at one point with um, a quote from our ED that said, belonging creates us. And I think that's really what we were feeling. Um, oh, sorry if you can hear my, my dog in the background. Uh, the joys of working from home. Um, yeah, I, you know, we were really feeling the absence of those, those beautiful uh, programs that connect us and, and um, mean so much to the kids. Um, but food is, is definitely at the root of what we do. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that builds community. It's something that helps us feel safe and welcome. And um, it's been really sad for us to move to a model where we have to like keep things behind a counter and bring kids. Um, we, we bring them sack lunches, but we really try to fill them with like homemade cookies that the community brings and warm burritos. And um, it's not like other organizations where it's like one per person, you know, we're glad to give you as many as you need to get through the day. And um, it's, it's really a spectacular place at pair where if somebody needs something, we will give it to them in good faith. And um, it's, it, we're able to be more individualized, which I'm really grateful for. Um, if somebody says, I need a backpack, it's like, cool. What size do you need? What color do you need? Was this, will this one fit you right? Um, we're really trying to make sure that kids are getting what they need in a way that helps them feel loved um, so that you feel like you're going to a, a friend's place and uh, just kind of asking for what you need with, with no shame or um, things like that. So food is the same way. We typically um, would have a, a big counter in front of our kitchen where we lay out a whole kind of <clears throat> family style spread that kids can go and, and choose so every morning at pair, you have um, like pancakes and bacon and oatmeal and all these really amazing things that kids can come up and um, serve themselves with fruit. Um, we have special milks for kids that we know are vegan. And, um, you know, if a kid says, oh, I really love this, we'll, we'll go out and get it. Um, so that's really some of the magical things about pair that, um, you know, kids have told us they're really sad to see go. Um, but we were known for being one of the really kind of best and most creative food places in town. So it was breakfast and lunch that we would provide and, um, our, our kitchen team and the volunteers who would come in and help would put some pretty spectacular foods out. Um, I would always brag to my friends that it was amazing to come to work at a place where you would spill bacon every morning. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was, you know, take as much as you need and, and get your fill and, um, this really kind of community style meal that uh, resulted in staff kind of sitting down to eat with the kids and, and talking to them and checking in with them. And um, our safe space has traditionally been a place where kids are encouraged to do something um, creative and, and kind of productive. So the kids know that we're not a space where you kind of just sit and, and take a nap. Um, although, you know, if you need to, of course, it's a safe space, but um, it's really created this amazing place where you have, kids having jam sessions in the corner. Someone will pick up a guitar and someone will pick up a tambourine and drums. And next thing you know, there's a whole circle of kids in the corner doing that or um, people playing board games together. And um, it's made for it to be a space where people feel comfortable going up to each other um, or apologizing if, if there's a disagreement. Um, it's really unlike anywhere I've ever worked. Um, and so we're, we're feeling the loss of that in a lot of ways. And when I say back to basics, it's that we've been striving to preserve the spirit of that um, 
and I think we've done a pretty good job of it, but there's certainly things like our um, amazing food that, that everybody's missing right now. Absolutely. So, um, Belle and I are both um, coffee fanatics, <laughs> for sure. So, um, can, like, why did Pear choose to go with the barista, like, barista as one of the programs? Yeah. Um, so, the job programs developed largely due to the culture here in Portland. And so, kids were asking, like saying, I want to work here. I want to work here. I don't have the skills to do it, or I don't have the background and bike shops, coffee. We're, we're definitely a coffee town here too. Um, we're so close to Seattle. And so there's lots of bougie coffee around here um, and food as well. We're, we're just a foodie town in general. So um, those are the jobs that are really competitive. It's hard to get a serving job here. It's hard to get a barista job because you have people with years and years of experience going against you. So um, those were the programs that kids were asking for. And we developed these great partnerships with folks like Nosa Familia Coffee, which is a, um, local coffee shop that has amazing coffee, um, that sponsors us and provides the coffee that we distribute. So we have their awesome name and, um, you know, behind our coffee, um, and, uh, same with the bike shop there it's we're a biking city and a walking city we're a really kind of small town so you find lots of people commute to work on their bikes um there's bike shops everywhere and um it's something that folks with technical skills really enjoy doing um and so that was just kind of a, a niche market that is big here in portland that there was a need for um and the gallery i think grew more so from just we've always had a creative background um our three founders are all very creative um, and amazing artists. And um, it's, we get a lot of, uh, so many of our kids are so creative in so many ways. And so um, you can actually follow our, our gallery on Instagram. It's uh, artworks PDX um, or pair gallery. If you search pair gallery um, and you can see the art that the kids are doing and buy it. And uh, um, so the gallery uh, became a place where kids who you know, we're selling their arts on the streets could, could put their name and their stuff on a wall in an official way and get it out to um, our community of established artists and sell it for not nearly as much as they can be selling it for. Um, that's why we're really trying to build the reputation of the gallery right now because some of their artwork is truly incredible. Um, but it's, it's a way to make money and also art is therapeutic in so many ways. And it's, it's a way for them to have somebody say, hey, this is really incredible. This is amazing. You did this um, <clears throat> when there's not often others in their life kind of showing them the, the incredible things that they can do and, and just kind of building them up for that. Awesome. So that's going to be a great transition point, but I just have to ask this question really fast. So I really want to go to like Washington or Oregon, like somewhere over there. And I did hear that they have really good coffee and I'm trying to convince Bella <laughs> to come with me. <laughs> so do you like, this is just as I know, but do you like, like Oregon? <laughs> oh yeah. I'm from LA originally. Um, okay. And it's kind of the joke here is that everybody comes from, from LA and Portland was like having a huge population boom a few years ago. Um, it's, it's beautiful here. The weather's really mild um, as long as you like the rain, but it, it honestly doesn't rain as much as it used to uh, because of global warming. But um, yeah, the food is amazing. It's a great place if you're young to be. Um, and a lot of that has kind of been put on the back burner because of COVID unfortunately, but um yeah, there's lots of markets and festivals and food carts and things. And um, y'all should totally come out and you'd be super welcome to stop by pair and, and we could give you a tour too if you wanted. But oh my definitely great city. Oh my gosh. Okay, so you just mentioned how art is very therapeutic, which yeah, um, yeah, like all forms of art. Um, so can you talk about kind of the mental health aspect um, of pair? Like I'm very passionate about mental health. So just that whole, um, I'm sure you guys play a big role in that. And can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So pair is unlike other services in town in that one, we don't take as much public funding. So we're, we're not really beholden to grants 
and government, um, local government requirements for programs, which gives us a lot of freedom to really just kind of do what the kids need and adapt our programs as needed, which is a beautiful part of PEAR. Um, what that also means is we're not similar to other organizations that are um, really kind of like the wait in line model to get what you need or um, you know, sit in a waiting room, come up to a front desk and talk to somebody. Um, we are not like that at all. Um, it's, it's a lot more laid back. It's, it's a place where people feel like they have a home there. Um, and it's for those reasons, um, we, we don't have like a doctor coming in, whereas others might have a clinic. Um, it's far less formal than that. And we do have doctors and folks that can like come and volunteer their time occasionally, but we partner more so with other organizations in town for things like that. So there is an organization called Outside In that has a free clinic for mental health and physical health where kids can get um, prescriptions and things met. Um, so we'll often refer kids there. I would say more so for us, you know, mental health is also combined with everything we do. I would say that's more kind of the way that we think about it is we have an amazing staff who all have a lot of experience working with kids and, and homeless services and have big hearts and are really empathic and um, our team is amazing. And so when they're working with kids, we're always checking in with them. What do you need? How are you doing? Um, are you taking your meds and um, just kind of wellness check-ins, um, but also checking in on ourselves too. Um, I think a lot of people are drawn to this work because we have similar challenges to the people that we're serving and working with. So, um, you know, I know for myself, um, I have personal trauma. And so I'm always bringing that with me to work and, and being trauma informed when I'm working with kids. And um, it becomes something that we can use to relate to them. And it's like, hey, I, I, I know some of these things that you're going through. Um, we have staff who've been raised in the foster care system. And a lot of the kids that we work with have been through the system. So, um, with with mental health, it's a lot less formal with us, which is something that is a really great strength of ours in a lot of ways. Um, because it, we depend on those strong relationships, it becomes something where people feel comfortable letting us know how they're doing um, and what they're needing, and um, things like art and food and um, recreation, education, all those all those things. Um, which I don't know if I mentioned, but that's actually PAIR is an acronym for Project Education Art Recreation. So that's Full the acronym. Um, yep. <laughs> so education, art, recreation, and then we would also add food and job training or kind of the other two. Um, those are the big categories. And so mental health care, physical health care, and just general self-care and building a healthy community for both the kids and the broader Portland community all get funneled into those things in really intricate ways. So, um, you know, for example, recreation, they, they go rock climbing every week and they take the kids on hikes. And a lot of them have not been able to connect to nature in ways like that before. They haven't been able to go hiking on a mountain or snowshoeing. There's just no opportunity for that. Um, and so we have like great programs like that where you get to go do these amazing things and then stay in a cabin and sleep inside because camping is not a novelty and not a thing that feels great. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say we, we definitely work mental health into kind of everything we do. It's, it's so important. Um, and it's something that many, many of us, all of us, you know, are dealing with the stressors and the collective traumas of this year have been intense. Um, and the civil rights movement that's taking place um, in the country, but here also in particular, um, is something that our kids have been feeling deeply, I think, as they're definitely some of that, that have the most, um, I think, experience with police violence and, and being swept and moved by them. And um, so trauma, mental health, stress um, are all things that are constantly on our minds and, and that we're checking in with each other on. Yeah, I love that you guys focus on the uh, informal approach to mental health. Uh, I think that a formal approach is always good, um, nothing bad about it, but I think when dealing with the younger population, it's important to have an informal conversation because it normalizes it and it doesn't carry that stigma that or that wall of not wanting to talk to try to or to have an outlet. So I think it's great that you guys have that informal way where it can be a comfortable 
like vibe, I guess. I hate using the word vibe for everything, but really is like just a comfortable atmosphere and language associated with mental health. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, we try to make it a place where everybody feels respected and welcome. And that's something we do hear from our kids. Um, so we're really proud of that. And I think it's something where like, I know I've worked places where I personally would not feel safe getting the services and that's really difficult. And, and pair is a place where I know if, if I or anybody I care about were to have a need, I would really refer them there and feel good about them going there. That's amazing. So um, wrapping it up um, kind of loosely, um, can you talk a little bit about um, any policies or advocacy or awareness that's happening in um, Portland or statewide or nationwide? And then um, if you have any advice to um, some youth who are trying to get into activism. Okay. Yeah, activism and advocacy. Um, so advocacy is something that's kind of new to us at PAIR. It both isn't, it isn't. I think formal advocacy is something that's new to us because at the beginning, it's really interesting to hear Beth and Pippa and Joy talk about PAIR at the beginning versus PAIR now. At the beginning, it was largely, um, I mean, we're still very grassroots, but it was, um, you know, let's get to know each kid individually and what do they need to feel loved and to feel empowered and um, to, to understand and, and feel agency to use that power that they have. Um, what do we need to, to do that and to build a place where that is something that happens organically? And that's still something we do. But I think over time, the team has gotten a stronger understanding of equity and all the things that come with that, the importance of being anti-racist in what we do, and just seeing how all of these corrupt systems and just systems in general uh, interlace to form the experience of our kids and just how deeply connected we as an organization are with those symptoms, with those systems. Um, and how it's really our responsibility and a need for us to be effective in our work, to be involved in them and to have strong advocacy um, outreach to the community and to um, be outspoken about things that kids themselves may not have a platform to be outspoken about. Um, so things like racism, white supremacy, transphobia, uh, housing injustice shape every single experience our kids have, right? Those are things that, um, they're experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis. And so those are things that we've realized through the years that we really need to be on board and fighting that injustice with them um, and using our platform and our power as an organization and as a certified nonprofit um, to advocate in those ways and build healthy communities. So with that, this year, this election year, uh, we endorsed two local measures. One is a preschool for all initiative, uh, which we're really excited about. Um, so it's going to be universal preschool. Everybody will have access. And that's something that is definitely, um, it, it affects people in poverty and along racial lines very much disproportionately, um, than others in town. So it's something we're really excited. We think our kids and, and their families are really going to benefit from, um, the, the other measure that we endorsed is, uh, 110 and that's decriminalizing substance abuse disorders and, and putting funding into creating recovery centers and um, really approaching substance abuse as what it is, which is a mental health challenge and disorder um, versus a character flaw. And so rather than punishing people, um, and that's something that our kids directly um, have been affected by. Um, they are the kids who were, you know, arrested for, um, for, for holding weed before it was legal, for example, um, and now have not had those cleared from their record now that it is legal. So the, those things and, and incredibly racist policies like that, um, really impact our kids. And so again, something that we know that we need to be outspoken about and pushing for justice there for them and with them. Um, and then the, I think the other really big initiative that we were on board with was, um, oh gosh, I can't remember if it was earlier in the year or last year, 
time is so wild right now. Um, we were pushing for with with an organization called Here Together for a big affordable housing initiative, and that was really exciting. It was the biggest local affordable housing and homeless services initiative we've seen here ever, um, and it was putting several million dollars into. Um, providing more housing retention and homelessness prevention and rent assistance and things like that. Um, and uh, it was really exciting for all the different agencies in town and we were all advocating together for it and it did pass, which was amazing. And so now they're putting collaborative efforts together to see, okay, what, what is the greatest need here for um, all of these things? And um, a lot of the services are going to uh, be prioritizing people of color, um, people with disabilities, people who are chronically homeless, um, queer people who are experiencing homelessness, all those groups that definitely have the greatest need. So super excited. To, um, and then also, I think if, you know, if you're on our social media pages, if you're on our website, you'll see that we, as, as that change has happened over the years, we've also been more outspoken about just kind of what our political beliefs are. And so we've been really outspoken about our support of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and particularly this year, um, we had our, our kids painted a mural earlier in the year um, with some of the names of people who'd been murdered by police. And um, we put that up in the community, which was pretty awesome. So um, we've really been working on making sure that advocacy and that type of activism are um, kind of community efforts here at PEAR, both with the kids and um, our staff and volunteers and everybody. Um, did that answer your question? Absolutely. Yeah, that's cool. Oh my gosh, I'm like speechless. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even really think about the whole pre-K thing. And so when you brought that up, that's like the one thing that, because I feel like the other two things are semi-mainstream-ish uh, issues, depending on how you know involved you are with activism. But the first one that didn't even dawn on me that a lot of private or pre-K schools uh, are more private schools or you like buy into them. So that's incredible. Um, for everyone listening, regardless of where you are, look into your local elections, your state elections, and see if these policies exist. Uh, if they don't, and you're interested in more, see if you can talk to your senator or representative and ask them about it, maybe copy these already drafted ideas up. Uh, just to expand the issue and topic and knowledge. So um, thank you so much, Tamara. Um, I'm going to do the inspirational quote for this episode. Um, and it is by Eli Weisel. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heres heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of, sorry, the opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. Um, and I really like this quote because I think, and I'm uh, I really trying to do more and more of this every day. Um, but if there's a problem, please do something about it. Like no matter what it is, like, because I, when I read this, I like read it over a couple times and I like for the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference at first. I was like, well, I would beg to differ. But then I thought about it a little bit more and even people who hate a certain movement or a certain group of people or anything like that, a certain religion, whatever it is, um, at least they're like, they're thinking about it and at least they're putting some thought and energy into it. So I think even if there is that back and forth, like say someone really loves something and something someone really hates, you can have that conversation and you can kind of like, you can talk about it and understand their perspective and they can understand your perspective. But I think if there's plain indifference, it's kind of comes across as I simply don't care. It doesn't affect me. And there's no opportunity to have that conversation. Did I, did I? You want uh, all these issues that we're talking about deal with empathy. Uh, so... <laughs> going to plug Mr. Rogers in here right now. <laughs> uh, look up some Mr. Rogers quotes or watch his TV show. Uh, either way, the lesson still applies and can be interpreted differently as you age. So just food for thought. No pun intended. <laughs> Never mind. Um, so thank you, Tamara, so much. Do you have any um, final words you can promote 
your website, your social media pages, um, anything like that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, if you want to learn more about PEAR, uh, our website is pairmentor.org.org. Um, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, at Pair Mentor is our tag. Um, so definitely check us out. Please follow us. Um, every time you like or share something, you're actually supporting organizations and helping their messages get to more audience members. That's how those algorithms on social media work. So, um, you know, even if you don't have funds or resources to give right now, those are ways that you can support people and actually take part in advocacy, um, right along with us. So, um, yeah, we really appreciate you having us here and, and learning more about what we do. And, and like I said, definitely, um, would highly recommend doing some research on organizations locally and, and what their needs are. And my guess is that they're very similar to what, uh, what pair needs. So, um, yeah, thank you so much again. And, uh, thanks for having empathy and, and caring about your neighbors without homes. Cause, um, the, uh, the indifference, like, like that quote you had said is, um, really more harmful in a lot of ways. Um, we're a community, so we're responsible for each other. So Absolutely. yeah, thanks for being part of our community. Thank, Thank you, you so much. You guys are doing um, some amazing stuff. Bella, do you want to? Right. Uh, time to plug us. Uh, <laughs> you can go to our website at nourishmysoul.org. You can go to our Facebook at nourishmysoul. Or you can go to our Instagram for Nourish My Soul with dots in between um, nourish.mind.soul. Or you can go to our Instagram page for From the Ground Up, which is our youth-led food justice group, uh, which would be from FRM, ground up, not any other ones. So to clear up. This one's actually accurate. (laughs) Yeah, we keep messing it up every week, but this one's accurate. same thing, like, share, um, and donate if you can. Um, stay 